with you that you are moving forward. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So uh, if you have not been with us, we started a four-week series on leadership. By the way, happy Father's Day, dads. My kids all texted me. My son is in, uh, my oldest son is in Uganda uh, right now, uh, moving up to the South Sudan Sudan border, which I'm a little nervous about. Uh, I don't know if you've read the articles, but, you know, Sudan is in civil war. There's a lot of uh, refugees, and my my son's walking right into all this stuff, and like three-quarters of the country has no food, so he's doing a documentary. A dad can't say anything. Once you get a certain age, dads can't say anything. You know, they, they just do what they want. But uh, amen. I'm, I am very proud of him, but you guys can be praying for him. Uh, and it's nice to have my other son playing drums today, so amen. Um, anyway, I, am, I digress. But we've been in this four-week series on uh, learning leadership lessons, and uh, last week we had our first lesson uh, given by Jethro to Moses, if you remember that, in Exodus 18. Uh, and we learned that good leaders delegate to able people, they own their problems well, that they need mentors in their own lives for growth and identification of weaknesses in themselves. Uh, they succeed by uh, growing their ability to raise up other leaders, uh, and, they, uh, and leaders last by developing their ability to judge the hard cases, to actually you know, get, get their hands dirty in ministry. And today we want to continue with our next leadership lesson from Moses, finding that, and we find initially that good leaders identify spiritual gifts in others, right? Good leaders identify spiritual gifts in others. And we find this beginning in Exodus 31, 1 through 11. It's an interesting passage. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel, if I say it correctly, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God. The wisdom, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Now, as we said last week, if you remember, that this is a time of growth and of building for the nation of Israel. They've moved from where we saw them last week. The Ten, the ten Commandments have now already been given uh, there's been various prescriptions, many prescriptions, as a matter of fact, have been set, uh, given to Moses and set as they build community and worship and they increase in complexity. And Moses has been up on the mountain for like 40 days and 40 nights, the same amount of time that we're fasting, by the way. Um, uh, you know, hearing all these prescriptions from the Lord and, and, and we see that it's God's, part of God's plan is that he is going to use this leader, leaders like Moses too, to train people up in righteousness, to train people up in righteousness. You know, yes, he's talking about building structures and items and things, right? But more so, he, they are training people up in righteousness and he's, he's teaching them so to speak, to obey all the Lord has commanded them, which is reminiscent, if you remember, of Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, which we'll look at a little bit later. But if you remember, in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, maybe you've not read it and you wouldn't remember it, but I'm telling you now, that it says, that the Lord says to them, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then all out of all the nations on the earth, right, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Now remember, a priest is a bridge builder to God, right? That's what they are. 
and a holy nation. Someone is set apart. They're special. They're, they're, they're pure in the eyes of the Lord and that kind of thing. And these are the words you, do, you are to speak to the Israelites, he ends up, uh, that verse with. Now, what you see is that the longer you study Scripture, the, the more you realize that the continued, the, sort of the, the continual nature of its message to us, right? That, and, and you start to see the continual call of God upon his people all throughout it. The concepts of faith, the concepts of obedience, of, of being a holy nation, tasked with bringing God's light and message and life to the world, to other nations, are repeated all throughout Scripture. It is just something that you see left and right. And it takes a lifetime to start seeing these things as you study Scripture, right? Right. Uh, you remember, you know, for them at that time, these were brand new ideas for them. Brand new ideas, right? They had never had the Ten Commandments before these moments, right? Think about that. Those are pretty common things for us, but they are brand new ideas for them. We've, we've seen through the story of Noah, if you remember that story in the past, where, human, where humanity leads itself when it's left to its own accord, as described in Genesis 6-5. You remember this verse, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's a pretty condemning statement, right? So what we find out, and this, I don't mean to be uh, whatever with this, but what we find out is that contrary to popular belief, uh, humanity morally and socially devolves, not evolves. Let me say that twice. Uh, humanity morally and socially devolves and not evolves. Just look at the news, right? We may produce more gadgets and call it progress. We, but what good are gadgets while we're still living in disconnection and isolation and subjugation and abuse and sexual deviancy and even killing one another? Even our kids are killing one another. That's craziness, right? Without necessary training in righteousness and filling of the Holy Spirit, without this connection with Jesus, we can't grow in character and love. Just because you accept Jesus, by the way, doesn't mean that you're all perfect, <laughs> right? You've got a lot of work to do. You and Jesus together, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's what we're called to because we want to become what we are truly meant to be, really truly meant to be. And that's why it says in 2 Timothy three sixteen, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful in teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Now, let me stop there and say that those two N-words of teaching and training, you don't have much problem with, right? Why is that? Because you live in this individualistic American worldview that says, well, they'll teach me and train me, but I'll take what I want from that and I'll leave the rest, right? Doesn't matter what the pastor says. Doesn't matter what the leader says. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. I will cherry pick what I like and I'll leave the rest. Oh, I'm okay with that. But you do not like the words rebuke and correct. (laughs) None of us. We are Americans. Nobody tells us what to do. Right? Well, God does. God gets to tell us what to do. God gets to tell us how to live. God gets to tell us how we are to be. All right? And we've got to remember that. Scripture, as God's word to humanity, is our standard and rule. It is, right? 
Remember, the civic and the ceremonial laws were fulfilled in Christ, but the moral law, the Ten Commandments, and even further, must still govern life for us. They really should. And they are a law which, without Christ, humanity tends to disregard altogether. And we may reflect God in little ways here and there, but overall, we disregard this wonderful, beautiful way of life that God has called us to. So for the Christian in Christian decision-making, the, the question is always, is this in line with the Scriptures? Is this in line with the Scriptures? We were just at a, a conference last year, and Phil Stroud, who's the national director of the Vineyard, you know, he, he was a little upset. I, I was glad that he's a little upset, because I get a little upset sometimes. And it came out, and what he was saying to all the pastors... And he said, when did we ever give up that question? Is it like, what do the scriptures say? When did we ever give that up? You know, he was pretty upset. And, um, but he, he needed to be upset. I needed to see my national director upset that much of the church is given up on the scriptures. And that's a big problem right now. See, if we don't ask that question, we, you know, it, we, we get ourselves in trouble, trouble. So if it's not in line with the scriptures, then we decide against whatever that is, whether that be in issues of finance or sexuality or marriage or basic human relationships or whatever it is. You've got to remember the story of the scriptures begins in creation, what it was meant to be. And what was that time? That was a time where we lived in perfect relationship with the Lord. We lived in perfect relationship with each other, that fidelity and faithfulness governed our relationships, that we, it was beautiful, it was free, right? There's no prison, no emotional prison, nothing, right? And then what happens? The fall, what happened, right? We turned our back on God, we decided we can live for however we want, blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff, and suddenly all this garbage is birthed into the world, and we have a real problem, and, and we... we well, whatever, I, I, I won't go farther in that. But then we, then we have redemption, and that is the point that what it can be in Christ. We see Jesus comes along, the gospel is expressed, we accept the gospel, and we can see what it can be like in Christ, the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God has already come in Christ, but not yet fully come. It's not been fully established on the earth. The reign of God, the shalom of God has not been fully established on earth. But finally, we will have in the future restoration, what it will be. When all of humanity and all of the world would be govern, governed by the shalom or the, or the peace of God. It's exactly what everybody in the world is looking for. They just get caught up in find, trying to find it from Jesus. And that's our task, is to bring that well. I, I, I was at uh, the, the Dresslers had their two-year anniversary party in Downingtown last night in this park out in the middle of town. I had a great time. Yeah, it was great. They started their business two years and uh, I got to talk to a couple there that live in Ardmore, and I shamelessly, <laughs> I shamelessly bugged the crap out of them, sorry, for my, to come to church. I'm like, you, you're, you're like this far away, dude. Like, just come to church. Like, when, what's holding you up? You know, you're going to have a baby sometime. You know, you, you're going to start thinking about it more then, blah, blah, blah. And I just bugged the, 
I said, I'm sorry if I'm bugging you. I said, I, I apologize, but I want so much for you to know Jesus and to know the community of Jesus. And you guys would have a blast if you just showed up. All the other stuff that you've heard out there in the world, all the other stuff that you've experienced in the past about church, I guarantee you it, you're going to have a better experience here. We're not perfect. We may upset you sometimes, but God love you. To come to church. They're not here. I don't think. If you are, sorry, I'm talking about you, but I didn't use your name. Anyway, but, you know, that's, that's our task is to bring people into this, this life, this life of faith, because it is exactly what they need, right? We are in this point, this, this point in history of redemption right now, and in the story of God, when we respond in faith and respond in obedience to the word of God, we move toward hope and we move towards full restoration, gaining that for which our souls truly, really long. Even though it sounds counter, counterintuitive to, to us sometimes, counter, counterintuitive to our culture at times. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew 18, or 28, 18 through 20, which if you haven't been here, I've been trying to work this passage into every sermon because it's the most important passage to me right now. Well, always, right? It's, it's our call as a church. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's all authority. That's not partial authority. That's not a little bit. That's not 50%. That's not 10%. That is all authority on heaven and on earth. So by the way, Jesus gets to tell me what to be and how, to, how I live. He does. That's, it's all been given to him. And what does he say? He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, all people groups across the world, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which we're doing on June 30th with six people here, right? And teaching them. Now, remember Exodus 19. Remember all this stuff that Moses is doing and God's calling Moses to do with Israel teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So the message has not changed. It's a consistent message all the way throughout the Scriptures. The story of Israel's inception and development as a people is a story of God developing a nation, a nation of witnesses, right? Of raising up leaders for that nation to train people in righteousness, to, to govern them, to walk through life with them, to, to, to once again reflect their creator as, it, as they did before the fall in creation. And by the way, this is a much needed transformation for us, a much needed training for us since the image of God within humanity has, sh- has been shattered by that fall. God's building a nation of witnesses set apart in holiness, not taken out of the world. We're actually thrown right into the middle of it, but we're set apart in the sense of holiness, you know, for purity's sake, for his glory. And we are tasked with bringing the message of the gospel to the world, to all nations of the world. And this began, if you remember, way back with Abraham, when God promised him, he said, you will be a blessing to all nations, right? And without God, what we see and what we know of ourselves, if we're truly honest, we grasp hold of all the wrong things for purpose and solace in the world. We really do. We fill that God-shaped hole in our souls with all all the things which just further deaden our humanity. We don't become what we really were truly meant to be. 
So in Moses' time, Moses has got a big job, right? And in his time, there was a lot of work to be done. He's up there 40 days and 40 nights getting all this stuff from, from the Lord, right? And he's got to come down and, and, and implement all that. And, and Moses is in the process of delegating, right? Implementing what Jethro told him last week in chapter 18. And they are moving forward as a nation. They are, they are, they are developing, right? And remember last week, everyone, we said everyone gets to play, right? Everybody gets to play. We've even got a booklet that says everyone gets to play in the vineyard, right? It's a, it's a very common vineyard saying. It's something we use a lot and we see that it's true. And we see it right here in this passage. Everybody gets to play. Even artists. I can make fun of artists because I'm one myself, right? Even artists, we all get to play, right? God's calling this artist up to the plate using his God-given gifting for the sake of the kingdom message. And that's a beautiful thing. Amen to that. Every, every, everyone, everything this guy creates, everything he makes has a message and it will communicate the heart of God to people, to all the nations of the earth. And by the way, it still does. When you start to study what this guy made, that stuff, the stories of this still communicate to us the message of the gospel even till today, right? You know, this church that we inhabit is pretty amazing. This is a beautiful room, but if you haven't been over to the sanctuary, you're missing something, man. It's an, like, it's, it's an amazing depiction of what artists can, can accomplish from architecture to the stained glass windows to the statues to the paintings, which we stole a few and put them up in the back, right? Uh, <laughs> depicting the various stories of the scriptures. I'm hoping they don't take them back because I, I like paintings. But, you know, take a moment when they're not doing stuff over there. Take a moment and walk through. They, they leave it quite open so that you can be a prayerful place. Take a moment and walk through the other sanctuary. It is amazing. It is is beautiful. I think this is the oldest church in the area. It was created by five families uh, who had big estates all around here, Episcopalian families, and and they're all buried underneath the altar, by the way. Um, they're all in the basement. So it's kind of cool to go down there and, you know, feel like your ghosties are going to be down there or something, but it's fun. But anyway, um, everything in that sanctuary, everything in that sanctuary is to communicate the gospel message and it's a shame that most of it's been lost on us. Here, uh, right over here, that, that picture right there that I put up just for this morning, is, um, it's an outline of all the people that are in the, the stained glass windows up on, on the top. As you see, there's two rows of stained glass windows on either side. And that outlines who they are and, you know, sort of their story and all that kind of stuff. And every, every one of them has a story uh, in, in the building of God's kingdom in the world. And that... that tells you who they are. It's pretty cool. I, 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 I'm remiss that I, I don't really know all the stories. But uh, Father Ian, who used to be here, I remember he was very well versed in all that stuff. And he used to tell me it all the time. And I'd listen, eyes wide open, and then I would f- promptly forget it all. So, because uh, I just, my memory is not that great. But um, they have these framed things. This is uh, Bach and Hayden over here. They, these copies, they, I thought they were originals. I was I, I really did have the feeling that I could steal them and go make a lot of money someday. But they're not originals. They're, they're, they are copies. But, you know, they're there sort, sort of like to remind us of the art form of music and, 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 and the beauty of music and how it glorifies Christ and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, if you take a look in the back of the room, you're going to see that we have some paintings up back there. And I, I would love to just fill that whole wall back there and all along the sides. So if you're a painter, 
by, by all means, bring it to us. But if you look over near the, the restroom door, there's one of Caravaggio's work. It's a charcoal drawing uh, of the entombment of Christ. I drew that my first year in art school. And um, I was really drawn in by, by uh, Caravaggio's strong chiaroscuro, which is light and dark. And I, you know, and, and I just... Uh, I, I, as a brand new Christian in, in, in art school, I wanted to tell all my professors and my students about, about Jesus. So the best way to do it was draw something and make them look at it and tell them the story. So uh, I, I forced them to, to talk about Jesus in class when I drew that. And that was kind of fun. But in the prayer room, if you see through the doorway there, you might be able to see it. There's, uh, there are two paintings, which used to be one painting. They were just too, it was just too large. I, I cut it in half because it was like 12 feet long and six feet high with all this woven fabric all around. It was pretty cool looking. I kind of regret cutting it in half. But it, it depicts two pubion women, a young woman and an older woman, and it goes from left to right, light to dark, right? And the old woman is looking at the younger woman with this sort of disdain, like, you know, and, and um, it represents that how in, in, uh, in Muslim cultures, you, you're born into this youthful hope, Right? You're, you, there's the sunshine on you, right? And, but as you get older and, and, um, and, and you find the control of other hopeless Muslims around you, I'm sorry if I say it that way, and I'm sorry that offends you, but, but Islam is hopeless. It, it is abs- I've studied the theology. I've walked through it. It is absolutely a hopeless system. And, and uh, that is what they're living under. So the older you get, the dark, you go to darkness. There is no hope in Islam. If God's in a good mood, you might make it to heaven. That's it. Or you blow yourself up in, you know, killing other people for the sake of Islam. That's the only way to get to heaven in Islam. And we all know that none of us can be good enough to get into heaven, right? And that's why we have Jesus that pays that price for us. To the right over here, you're going to see a watercolor by our own Charles Swarkowski. Uh, uh, we call him the beard. He's sitting over here on the right. Uh, and it's called The Invitation. And he just hung that up a couple weeks ago. And about that, Charles said, uh, the frequent nautical references found throughout the Bible have had an influence on me because of their con- connection to God's plan of salvation. The memorable scenes of Jesus' ministry on and around the Sea of Galilee inspired that watercolor. It's no coincidence the earliest Christians used the image of a boat to symbolize the church as a place of refuge from the storms and waves of a world where they were persecuted for their faith. My hope is that the particular, this particular image would reflect the incredible grace-filled invitation towards salvation and discipleship Jesus gives us individually and collectively as his church. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men, Matthew 4.19. So what a great depiction of the gospel right there in that painting. We also have back in the back, you might see them, they're, very, they're pretty small, but they're up on the shelves there. Um, there's a simple charcoal drawing uh, that Maddie Griner did for us uh, way back when, when I did a sermon on Jonah. She did that for that sermon uh, one Sunday, and that's up on, on the left there, my left. And uh, Tomoko, I actually did another one right next to it. You know, there's another small, it's very abstract, cause I, so I can't tell you really what it's all about. But it was, it was in, in response to the same series, and I didn't get to ask Tomoko about that this week. Chris Nixon, our own Chris Nixon right over here. Another beard, beard number two or beard number one. You've been around here longer. So I guess you're beard number one. He's beard number two. Mike, well, Mike Thomas. Okay, but Mike Thomas, beard number one. Chris Nixon, beard number two. Chuck is beard number three. Um, because you have full beards. 
you know, all the rest of us have little wimpy beards. But anyway, Chris is a working artist, and I've asked him to do something for our walls too, and you guys can start bugging him to get on that because I'm really, it, I really would like to see him do something. But um, here's some of his work up on the screen, and you may not realize how difficult this is. Chris, I, I think Chris really depicts the beauty of creation, uh, of humanity, and and, and the reflection of God in, in, in creation in his work. And I'll tell you what, a hand is a very difficult thing to paint. And he does the study of a hand right there on the right. And I just think it's, it's, it's beautiful. I love how, how Chris paints. But imagery is powerful, right? It's powerful. It's, it's useful in the communication of the gospel and in building faith. And the evangelical church has lost that for the most part. For a while, it, it was lost. And it's coming back now, or it has come back, especially through sort of digital graphics and video and things like that. But the point is, everybody does actually get to play, even artists, even, even crazy artists like me and Chris and, and Chuck and everybody else. So um, anyway, our story continues. It says in verse 6, Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, uh, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. You know, you've got to remember, this is a huge job that uh, this guy's been called to. And God not only, not only fills Be- uh, Be- Be- Bezalel sorry, with the Spirit of God and gifts him with all these abilities, but he also provides a co-leader for him as he takes on this, this role or this task. And if you'll notice that when we do ministry here at 6-8, often we use co-leaders. We use pairs of, of people in our community groups. We strive to have two leaders on, on every group. It doesn't always work out that way, but we strive to do that so they can work side by side since it's much more manageable uh, to do leadership alongside somebody else. We do leadership in teams, right? They, they bring fresh ideas. They carry some of the weight. They build on the things that you don't see. Uh, and they just kind of help keep things moving. But our story continues. It says, Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant, the uh, covenant law with the, uh, the atonement cover, cover on it and, and all the other furnishings, furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles and the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering and all of its utensils and the basin with its stand. You can see how extensive this is getting and also all the woven garments, both the sacred garments of Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons when they serve as priests and, and everything on their, on their clothing communicated something, right? And the, anoint, the anointing of oil and fragrant incense for the holy place, and they are to make them just as I commanded you. So there was a, a definite thing that God was calling them to do. So good leaders identify spiritual gifts in others. But secondly, they, God calls leaders needed for the ministry he calls us to. God calls leaders need, that are needed for the ministry he calls us to, right? Kim and I were at a church growth conference. I've, I may have told you this already in, in January. And, uh, and one of the speakers got up, and he's speaking to all like church leadership, pastors and leaders and stuff. And he, he said to all the pastors, he said, how many of you pastors have ever said this? My area is much more difficult to reach than most areas, Right? I've said that, right? Every pastor raised their hand. Every single pastor raised their hand. And he started making jokes 
about like how not every community can be harder to reach than other communities around it, right? And it was a light moment, but it was like exposing our excuse making as leaders, as in ministry towards people, right? You know, we just don't take risks because, oh, it's so hard, right? And there's a temptation as a ministry leader or a pastor to say, if only, if only, right? Many, most leaders can identify that moment in their frustration and the time that they're really hard, working hard and things aren't going well or whatever, where they can say, if only I had more volunteers, if only I had more money, more time, more buildings, right? <laughs> more platform, more opportunities and all this kind of stuff. And that is a trap into which many leaders fall, many pastors fall, and it hinders our ministry when we get stuck there, right? And it's really not true. It's really not true. Sure, it'd be nice to have more. It's really nice to be working on those kids' rooms downstairs and to finish that this summer and see our kids all move into there. That's going to be really nice, and that's a blessing. It is a blessing. It'd be nice to have more in all kinds of ways, but God's given us exactly what we need. He's given us exactly what we need. So maybe there's a better question. Who are the people that God has given our church? Like, who are you? Right? Who who are the people that God has given our church? And what talents do they possess? What do they bring to the table? Right? Because if we believe God speaks through his people, then maybe he gives us the people to do the ministry that he invites us into. Right? Not necessarily the ministry we want or how we think it should look or or what we think that we need. God gave Bezalel incredible talents, you know, ministry and wisdom and artistic abilities to serve the, you know, with building the implements of worship outlined by God to Moses for Israel, right? And the priestly garments and the objects of the the tent of the meeting and all that kind of stuff. And it's safe to assume, it's very safe to assume that golden lampstands weren't first priority. They weren't the first thing on Moses' mind when he's trying to like, you know, build this nation of Israel and lead this nation of, of people, right? Yet we discover over and over that God's ways aren't aren't our ways, right? They're not necessarily our ways. God gives the church everything she needs to survive and even to thrive. It really does. Even if that looks differently than our definition of success. So good leaders identify spiritual gifts in others. Uh, God calls leaders needed for the ministry of the, uh, uh, for the ministry he calls us to. And thirdly, God fills leaders with the Holy Spirit to call them for ministry, right? He fills leaders with the Holy Spirit to call them for ministry. Important fact. It's, all, it's, it's easy to forget, I think, that leading the church is a spirit-led calling. It is an absolutely spirit-led calling. In the midst of all the admin and all the logistics and all those issues, it can seem very base and very human. But remember, we always say at 6-8 that everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual, right? Leaders, we said last week, go back to the Lord, constantly seeking a new filling of the Spirit in the work that they do. 
We need to constantly be doing that in a humble way, looking for the Lord to fill us up more and more. Notice this guy's not just a skilled worker. He can't just swing a hammer. He's someone who is filled with wisdom by God, filled with understanding. He gets what he's doing because of that and what it means in light of the greater kingdom call of the work that he's doing. So every hammer blow, you know, every chisel cut, every cast of metal or whatever material they're using to create these objects are all meaningful to him. And he knows that they're going to be meaningful to others. Right? Every little task is important. It, it reminds me of our sermon series, if you were here for it, uh, on Nehemiah's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, if you remember that, and all the workers that they employed and how those workers, those guys knew that what they were doing when they were mortaring and you know, hammering stones into place, that all that rebuilding was meaningful to the kingdom of God and meaningful to people. Every little task is meaningful. So Joe Buccalo you know, down there painting walls and building walls and putting fans in walls and all this kind of stuff and changing out lighting. That is all meaningful so that our kids can grow up and learn the message of the gospel and start to live it out themselves. Kim's going to be leading them in prayer and like little prayer warriors. They're going to like be, we're going to have them up here praying. They're going to be praying for each other. I just, I'm very excited about that, right? I don't know where I was in this, but God, but God does the work of calling people for leadership in the church and it's the pastors and the leader's job to equip and train and direct and guide uh, people to recognize and utilize their gifting. It's really, it is a lot of work. It's a wonderful work. God called Bezalel and, and then fills him with the Holy Spirit, right? This, this is the first time in the Hebrew Scriptures someone said to be filled with the Spirit. So what a beautiful and unexpected man to, you know, to whom uh, the filling of the Spirit was given, right? It's, he's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He's not a king. He's not a judge. He's an artist. Amen to that, right? Like us artists, like finally get a, you know, God throws the dog a bone here. You know, like we, we get a one, one up on all you guys. We were the first. Amen, right? Amen, Chris, right? God bless you, Chris, Right? They usually think we're, we're like flakes, but we, we turn out to be pretty decent, right? This, see, this communicates everyone's skills are valuable in the kingdom of God. They are. And they're useful in bringing light to the message of the gospel to the world. So good leaders identify spiritual gifts in others. God calls leaders uh, that are needed for the ministry that he calls us to. God fills leaders with the Holy Spirit. Uh, to call them for ministry. And finally, lastly, uh, God raises up teams to serve with those leaders, right? In a very unique reference, God also highlights a team and another talented artist who will work with Bezalel, right? The phrase to be with him is crucial in understanding if God is going to raise up a leader, then he's going to raise up a team with that leader as well, right? And that's what we're doing here at 6-8. Moses' job was to listen and to pray and then recruit these men for the task which God had called them. Leaders are tasked to be recruiters, right? Recruiters, watchers, visionaries who respond to God's call and help others uh, to respond to God's call as well, to, to identify that and move us into it, right? So our success as leaders doesn't depend on our ability to do all the work. We learned that last week. 
but to both delegate leadership and to build capable ministry teams to accomplish the spreading of the gospel in the world, right? Now, I don't know if you know that here at 6-8, we have eight systems which govern our church. And uh, I'm rethinking all this stuff right now. And how, does, how do, you know, how are we really doing things well and all that kind of stuff? And each one of them has a ministry head who oversees and recruits and leads those under them for the sake of the kingdom work that we do as a church. So we have Vinnie and Mary who oversee the worship ministry, right? We have Steph who oversees kingdom opportunities. Uh, we have Kim who oversees the, the kids ministry. We have Lindley and myself who are overseeing community groups this coming year. Uh, I've recently taken some weight on the missions thing only because Kara popped out a baby and now she's all busy. And I, you know, so I love Kara and I want her back in that role someday, but she needs some, some, some breathing room right now. So I'm taking over the mission system for a little while, but I, I want that to be a temporary thing. Uh, John oversees the stewardship system. He's done a great job. And Rachel oversees the prayer system and she's done a phenomenal job as well, right? In each of those systems and, and Jordan, I'm sorry, did, did I not put you up there? Oh, yeah, I skipped right over you. Sorry. Jordan oversees the impression system, which is all you see here on a Sunday morning, you know, all this stuff. So, um, yeah, thank you for saying that. And sorry for missing you, Jordan. Um, but each of those systems, each single one of those systems has anywhere to a few volunteers to as many as 40-plus volunteers. Kim, I think, has 36 volunteers right now. By the fall, she'll probably have about 42. That's craziness. That's a lot of people to organize, right? Um, that's, it's a lot of work. It's valuable work. There's always a place for you to serve here in this church. They, and, and some of those system heads may come to you and they might ask you for your involvement. Maybe you should consider saying yes. It's a wonderful thing to do. Serving is a great way to get to know others and also to let yourself be known to others, right? It's a little bit less intimidating to, you know, sort of do some hard work next to somebody than it is to sit in a community group and divulge your heart or, or you know, go have a meal and divulge your heart. Sometimes it's easier to get to know people as you do things together. But every little task in this church is for the sake of making worship happen and for reaching out to our local community and bringing the gospel to them. Right? July 4th, we have uh, the, the uh, Saba parade and then activities out in uh, Elwell Park. Come on out. Get to know your neighbors. You know, share with them. Invite them to church. You know, uh, share the gospel with them if, the, if, the, if it all comes up. You know, um, sign up to help and, and do stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking more about that in the coming weeks. But, you know, and I, as I said last, last week, Lindley and I are working on a course that hopefully we'll be able to have up by the fall. I'm not sure if we'll get it, get it then, but uh, it's going to lead us through some of this stuff, identifying spiritual gifts and all that kind of stuff, and just helps us to find our place in church life and, how, you know, where we can give. So amen to that. We're, we're moving forward as a church. Just like Israel was moving forward with Moses, we're moving forward as a church, and God is blessing us along the way in order that we, too, would fulfill our calling of being a blessing to all peoples of the world. Amen? Amen. Let me uh, pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that all authority on earth and and heaven have been given to you. We thank you that you have spent the time 
communicating these things and leading us and guiding us. And we apologize. We apologize. We say we're sorry. We ask forgiveness when we don't listen. We ask that you would convict our hearts with joy, Lord Jesus, so that we could walk with you in really powerful, strong ways, that we would be useful in your hands as people that are a holy nation and a kingdom of priests, that we would be uh, thoughtful about what you are calling us to and where you're taking us and, 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 and the people that you want us to reach right around us and, and across the world. We thank you for the work that we have going on in Lebanon and Syria. We thank you for how you are moving us and shaping us in these ways. And we just pray that you would keep moving us forward. And thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray.